We are starting a new series this week called Sign of the Times. You can check out this amazing graphic we have. Uh, Over the next three weeks, we're going to be looking at some of the one-liners from the world-famous El Arroyo. Since 1975, El Arroyo has been serving up Tex-Mex and laughs through their, like I said, world-famous marquee sign. You've uh, this is uh, at the corner of Fifth and Campbell in Austin, Texas, uh, and you've probably seen this sign online. Maybe you've seen it on social media, uh, but I want to share a few of my favorites that I found. Uh, these were all prompts that we couldn't find a way to preach. Uh, but uh, okay, this first one: the fastest land mammal is a toddler who's been asked, "What's in your mouth?" <laughs> That's good. This is my favorite one. What if soy milk is just regular milk introducing itself in Spanish? Okay, this one. The temperature went from 90 to 55 like it saw a state trooper. Uh, This sign rotates regularly. And honestly, it's become something of a Texas icon. It's always got something funny and quippy to say. uh, But sometimes in the humor, we actually find deep truth. Sometimes those quips say something profound. And I think that's certainly the case for our our jumping off point, the sign we're gonna be using today. This is our sign for today. It says on the surface, cool as a cucumber. On the inside, squirrel in traffic. (laughs) Okay, we laugh, this is funny. Uh, But it is also painfully accurate for so many of us. How many of us try and make sure that we look good on the outside, that we look put together, but in reality, we are freaking out. (laughs) We're worried. We're anxious. We're, We're squirrels in traffic. If we're honest, so many of us struggle with worry. We pretend we don't. We pretend to be cool as a cucumber, but the truth is, we're not. On the inside, we are rodents dodging 18 wheelers. And, and here's how I know that this is true. Amazon did a study a few years ago to see the most highlighted lines in a variety of books. So they looked at the top 10 books of the year, and they looked at the Lord of the Rings series, and they looked at the Harry Potter series. They wanted to see on people's e-readers, what did they highlight? What resonated with people? Well, one of the books that they analyzed was the Bible. Unsurprisingly, the Bible is the most highlighted book of all time on the over 150 million Kindle e-readers that have been sold worldwide. And so Amazon took this, this massive set of data and they examined it. They wanted to see what people had marked most in the digital versions of their Bibles. And so take a second and I want you to make your guess in your mind. What do you think that it would be? Because my guess would have been Maybe John 3.16, for God so loved the world. Or maybe Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. But it was actually neither of those. The most highlighted verses in all of the Bible are our scripture for today. This is Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 through 9. Hear the words of the Apostle Paul. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. 
And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is pleasing, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence and if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. As for the things that you've learned and received and heard and noticed in me, do them. And the God of peace will be with you. Okay, so Paul writes this letter to the church in Philippi. This church was started by Paul on his second missionary journey. It was the first church uh, established in Europe. And if you read Philippians, if you read this letter, you can tell that Paul has a deep love for this church. And so in this letter, he writes to them with words of appreciation for, uh, for not only their spiritual support, but their financial support. And then he writes these words of encouragement. And it's pretty incredible because Paul is writing this around 60, 61 AD when he finds himself in a Roman prison. Things are not going well for him. And yet, what does he say in our scripture? He says, don't be anxious. Don't worry. We have a God of peace. Go find peace. That's amazing coming from a guy who's sitting in a jail cell. But I think it speaks to the fact that even 2,000 years ago, worry was one of the greatest challenges facing the church, and Paul knew it. Again, of any set of verses in, in the entire Bible, this is the most highlighted. Because still, so many of us struggle with worry, still. So many of us are seeking peace. And what I love about this scripture is that Paul gives the church in Philippi really practical advice. He tells them how to deal with worry. How to attain peace when they feel like squirrels in traffic. So let's look back at our scripture and see what he says. The first thing Paul tells the Philippians and us is to do the heart work. Paul says, when you worry, pray about it. Practice thankfulness. Do that and you will find a peace that passes all understanding. Paul says, when you're worrying about something, the first thing you should do is inner work. And this is a powerful reminder for us because so often when we worry, we fail to do the inner work, the heart work. We fail to stop and take a minute and to really assess and evaluate our worries. I read a study this week where researchers took a large group of people who self-identified as worriers. And they asked them to write down their, their worries every single night before bed for, for a month. Well, after 30 days, they were told to revisit the, the worries that they had written down and to mark which of these things actually came to fruition. The research showed that 91.4% of their worries never actually happened. The vast majority of the things causing anxiety never occurred. The point is, oftentimes our fears don't reflect the reality around us. And if we just take a second and, and, and stop and really evaluate our worries, we will find that they don't hold water. They don't stand up. 
Like, are you afraid to fly? Because I am. Well, did you know that there is a 0.000001% chance of you being involved in an airplane crash? Which is still just like a little high for me, but (laughs) you get the point. Are you afraid of heights? Well, your chance, uh, this is the second most reported fear, fear of heights. Uh, Well, your chances of being severely injured in a fall are one in 500,000. Are you scared of lightning? The chances of being struck by lightning, one in 2.3 million. So often we worry about things that just aren't worth worrying about. Which is why Paul calls us to prayer. Because one of the amazing things about prayer is that it offers us a chance to do the heart work. To look within and really evaluate our worries. That's what prayer is. It's heart work. In fact, the Hebrew word for prayer is tefillah. And tefillah also means to judge oneself. It means to examine oneself. See, to the Hebrews of the Bible, like Paul, prayer wasn't just a time when they asked God for things. That was a part of it, but that wasn't all of it. Prayer was also for them a time to do inner work, heart work. They used prayer to process their worries with God, to stop and really analyze their lives. It it was heart work. It's the same thing that, that Philip Yancey, the wonderful Christian writer, says in his book, Prayer Does It Make Any Difference, which I highly recommend. It's a wonderful book about prayer. Yancey says, in prayer... I shift my point of view away from my own selfishness. I climb above the timberline and look down at the speck that is myself. Prayer is the act of seeing reality from God's point of view. I love that. Prayer is trying to see reality from God's point of view. It puts things in perspective. It helps us evaluate our worries on a grander scale. Because when we do that, oftentimes we find peace. Let me, let me try and give you a real world example. Imagine that you're having conflict with someone, a coworker, a neighbor, a friend, family member, whoever. You're having this conflict and you're feeling anxious about it. It's worrying you and stressing you out. Most of us have been there, right? This is a pretty common source of anxiety and worry in our lives. Well, if you bury it, or if you lash out at this person, it's probably not going to get any better. So Paul would say, the best thing to do is do the heart work first. Pray. Talk to God about it. Self-evaluate. Ask yourself things like, what is my part? in this conflict? Is it reasonable for me to be this anxious? Is this worth getting worked up about? Is the other person worrying? What's stressing me out so much about this particular situation? What is causing the anxiety? We do that first, and then we take the next step that that Paul suggests. Remember what he says. Paul says in our scripture, go to God in prayer, with thanksgiving. And so we try and practice thankfulness. 
So in this situation, as hard as this may be in the middle of a conflict, we, we, we ask ourselves things like, what are you grateful for about this person? What are you grateful for about your relationship with them? See, sometimes just doing this, just praying and evaluating and practicing gratitude, sometimes that's enough to settle us down and bring us some peace. And so that's why we do the heart work. That's why we find ways to do the inner work that Paul writes about. Because when we do, we find, I love what he says, that's beautiful, a peace that passes all understanding. You know, last year I was, I was really struggling with anxiety and worry. Um, there was a lot going on here at the church. There was a lot going on in, in my life. And it was kind of consuming me, to be frank. And so I decided that I needed to establish some practices into my life to help. And I've talked about this before, so forgive me, but one practice that's been extremely powerful for me is something that I do every single night before bed. For the last year, every night, I use my 10 fingers to pray and practice gratitude. So first, I I try and list off five things from the day that I'm grateful for. It can be big things, it can be small things, Um, Some days I've had a great day and I feel like I can rattle off 10. Other days I am struggling to find the most minute detail to get to five. But but I I count them out. This is what I do first. One, two, three, four, five. And I count out those five things I'm grateful for. And then after that, on the other hand, I do the five-finger prayer. This is something I actually got from John and Todd. uh, But let me give you a little refresher if you don't remember Uh, You start with your thumb, and your thumb points inward, and so you start by praying for those closest to you, your spouse, your kids, uh, your your best friends. Uh, Then with your pointer finger, you pray for those in your community who point the way. And so for me, a lot of times, this looks like praying for educators because you can never pray up teachers enough. It looks like praying for the medical community. It looks like uh, praying uh, for first responders. Then your middle finger is your tallest, your highest finger. And so you pray for those in the highest places in our world. And so uh, people like leaders of nations, the president, Congress, uh, those sorts of things. Your ring finger is your, your weakest finger. And so you pray for the most vulnerable and marginalized in society. You pray for the sick and the hurting. And then with your pinky finger, your smallest most insignificant final finger, you pray for yourself. And I do this every single night, and I know it's kind of cheesy, but it has been huge for me. There has been something so powerful for me in just taking my worries to God in prayer and forcing myself to be grateful, even when I don't want to be. In doing so, I have found peace. So we pray and we self-examine and we practice gratitude. We do the heart work. And sometimes just doing that is enough. Sometimes we do those things and we're good. But other times we have to take the next step that Paul shares with us. After we've done the heart work, sometimes we have to move on and do some hard work. Remember what Paul writes. He says, as 
for the things that you've learned and received and heard and noticed in me, do them. Do them. And the God of peace will be with you. So the first part of our scripture is all about the inner work, prayer and gratitude. But the second part is about the outer work. Paul says, go act. Do the things that you've learned. Think about them first, yes, but then do. And you know what? That's the hard work. See, sometimes the inner work, the heart work, leaves us with no choice but to go and do some hard work. There are going to be times when we actually have to face our worries head on. Take the example that we just talked about, uh, of that conflict that you're worrying about, this conflict that's, that's stressing you out and causing you anxiety. Sometimes you take that to God, and you pray about it, and you examine it, and, and you, you practice gratitude, and you realize that what you're anxious about isn't worth the energy that you're giving it. And then that's it. That's the end of the road. You find peace. But other times, you do those same things, and you come to the conclusion that in order to find full peace— You're going to need to have a hard conversation. You're going to need to address it directly. Sometimes heart work precipitates hard work. The inner work points us to outer work. And when it does, we've got to be willing to do all the things that Paul says. Things that are honorable and just and pure and pleasing and commendable and excellent We've got to be willing to attack our anxieties with action. I'll never forget uh, the first sermon I ever preached. I was a senior in college. I was 21 years old, and somehow I found myself pastoring uh, two tiny congregations in rural Arkansas. I was set to, to become the interim pastor at Cecil UMC and Vesta UMC. You can see him here. Vesta had a pretty strong marquee game as well. Uh, their sign says right there, Jesus said, I'll be back way before Arnold did. It's a pretty good bit. Proud of them. Uh, but these churches were wonderful. They were about 100 miles from Fayetteville, where I was in school. Vesta worshipped about 15. Cecil worshipped about 40. That was my megachurch. Um, why are y'all laughing? Well, my first Sunday was set to be the first Sunday of October. That was going to be my my first day. And in the weeks leading up to it, I was a mess. I was a nervous wreck. I was so worried. I had no idea what I was going to preach about. Because the closest I had ever gotten to preaching a sermon was being like a cheesy illustration in my dad's sermons. Uh, And I didn't know how preachers even picked a scripture. I didn't know if you just like flipped through your Bible and dropped a finger and that's what you went with, you know? And and so I was, I was worried. I spent weeks worrying because I'd never preached a sermon and I was, I was racking my brain for a topic and for a scripture to use. And I kept thinking things like, how am I going to write anything meaningful for these people? This is going to be a disaster. I'm going to embarrass myself. I shouldn't have said yes to this. What was I thinking? Well, I was talking uh, to my girlfriend, Hannah, uh, about this, about how anxious I was, how I couldn't come up with anything to preach. And she listened and kind of patted me on the back and encouraged me. And and then the next day, I I went in my room and I found that she had left me uh, a card on my desk. It was this 
super sweet and encouraging note that she, she'd written me. And in the note, it was, all, uh, it was all these wonderful things like, you know, telling me I was going to be okay, telling me that, that she was proud of me, how she was with me no matter what happened. And then at the very end of her note, she included a scripture. Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 through 9. The most highlighted scripture in the Bible. And I read that note and I knew instantly what to preach. And so I got up on the first Sunday in October and I gave a terrible little sermon about worry. And I used this exact same text that we're talking about today. And you know what? I preached that sermon and I survived. And I went back the next week and I preached again. And I went back the next week and again and so on. And slowly but surely, my worry lessened. See, sometimes all we can do is face our worry head on. And I am so grateful for my now wife, who was wise enough to remind me of that. See, we're all going to have moments, we've all had moments, when worry gets the best of us. When we find ourselves trying everything we can to pretend to be cool as a cucumber, but in reality freaking out like a squirrel in traffic. So when that happens, let's do the heart work. And then if we need to, let's do some hard work. Let's face our worries head on, knowing that God is with us every step of the way. See, the great truth for us today is that no matter what you're worried about, no matter what's stressing you out, no matter what's causing you anxiety, it is not bigger than Jesus. We serve a risen Savior. We can't put that in a box and tuck that away for next year. Oh, we did it last week. No. He's still risen. We can't forget that. We can't forget that, that God loved us so much that he became one of us. And he lived and died and rose again so that the scariest things that this world tries to worry us with, death and evil and hopelessness, those things have already lost. It's over. It's done. He's won. We're an Easter people. Not just last week, but every week. Not just one Sunday a year, but every Sunday every year. So we don't have to worry. But when we inevitably do, let's remember this scripture. The one I read in that note, the first one I ever preached, the most highlighted verses in the Bible, which say, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is pleasing, whatever is commendable, 
If there is any excellence and if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. And as for the things that you've learned and received and heard and noticed in me, do them. And the God of peace will be with you. Hallelujah. Amen. Will you pray with me? Lord, we confess that we are a room full of worriers. We are a people who worry about the past and the present and the future. But God, remind us this morning about the superpower that you have given us called prayer. God, it really is almost hard to believe that we have a direct line to you, that we can talk to you anytime. We can speak to the one who created the cosmos, trillions of stars, and, and we can talk to you anytime, and you listen, and you care, and you answer. Lord, it's almost unfathomable, but we are just so grateful. So God, help us to use this power. Help us to pray without ceasing to practice gratitude and to go out and do the hard work when we need to, knowing that you're with us every step of the way, that we're still an Easter people. We pray all of this in the name of our rock and our redeemer, Jesus Christ. Amen. As we come to the close of our... Thank you. Thank you for joining us. Please make sure to rate, review, and subscribe so you don't miss new releases. We'll have new podcasts coming out all the time. Be sure to check us out online at whiteschapelumc.com. Please download the WC Life app and follow us on social media to stay up to date with all things WC.